there's no question that we are gaining body fat as we get older. We're losing muscle mass as we get older. And the problem within that is because most people gain weight. And that's what we're discussing on this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. This is a really an awesome topic that I'm really, really excited to present and share information uh, with you about. I think that it's fair to say, and I'm certainly going to preface this presentation by saying that, you know, there really aren't any specific foods that are magical foods that help us burn body fat. Rather, what it comes down to is it's about, especially when we talk about eating and nutrition and exercise and physical activity and lifestyle as we get older, it is about doing the things that are going to help us maintain lean body composition, help us optimize fat loss by eating uh, the right types of foods to facilitate that process and to offset the natural aging process. Uh, and so there's really no magical switch that gets flipped, right? When we turn 30 or 40 or 50, that all of the sudden changes the way that we store body fat. However, there definitely are certain aspects of the aging process that, that influence our body composition. So with that said, is this, this quote unquote aging process is really the process or the decline in our metabolism that can start as early as in our 20s, interestingly enough. And I'm sure that uh, the majority of the people on this are 50 or older than 50. But with that said, if anyone's tuning in, this information is not just for uh, our aging population. This is for every day, every demographic of people, because it's very relevant to the aging process, which, as I said, starts as early as our 20s. And it's highly influenced by our nutrition, by our physical activity levels, by the types of physical activity that we do, and by our lifestyle. And so there's a few fundamental things that happen, my friends, as we get older that you probably have observed right? One is we increase in fat mass. We gain body fat as the standard American, as the average American. I'm not speaking to you as an individual, but just I'm generalizing across the U.S. We gain fat as we get older. We lose muscle mass as we get older. Starting as early as the age of 30, we lose bone mineral density. We reduce our sex hormone production. Now, these are sex hormones that have to do with estrogen and progesterone. And for many people, menopause or menopause, there's this imbalance in estrogen to progesterone that can impact certainly our bone mineral density. It certainly can impact our lean muscle mass. It can impact our body's ability to regulate blood sugar and regulate insulin and so many other factors that influence how, where, and why we store body fat and or muscle mass. And then, you know, similarly is this uh, very, very profound relationship between our digestive function and our brain function or the brain degeneration that happens as we get older. Now, I'm confident that all of us know someone with some level of 
uh, dementia or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. And these are neurodegenerative diseases that obviously increase in propensity as we get older that are strongly attributed to our nutrition, our, our lifestyle, our physical activity levels. Now, just touching on a couple of these things is, is research suggests between the ages of 29 and 39, women typically gain about seven pounds of body fat and men put on an additional 15 pounds of body fat. So there's no question that we are gaining body fat as we get older. We're losing muscle mass as we get older. And the problem within that is because most people gain weight as they age to a point is what's happening is we're losing muscle mass and we're gaining and we're replacing that muscle mass with fat mass and then some. Now, that's one component here. The other component is this digestive function and neurodegeneration sort of symbiotic relationship. And one of the things that I want to mention to you is you probably are aware to some degree that there's uh, an intense and unique relationship between the brain and the gut. Uh, you may have experienced this at varying levels when you're nervous about uh, meeting someone or having an interview or uh, a presentation and you start to get butterflies in your stomach. This is a perfect example of that uh, brain-gut relationship. And what's important about this is as our brain health declines, our gut health declines and vice versa. And and this is uniquely connected by a, a nerve that runs from our brainstem all the way into and innervates our um, digestive lining called the vagus nerve. And so literally the brain and the gut are connected to the degree that as we get older, as brain function declines, so too does digestive function, which means that our food digestion uh, becomes reduced. Our, uh, you know, for some people, bowel movements, um, just overall gut health in terms of the uh, population of good to bad bacteria, and and so on and so forth. So some of the common symptoms that we see that you might be able to relate to are fatigue and depression and digestive problems. And all of these are caused, all of these are caused by blood sugar imbalances, by lack of physical activity, by systemic inflammation. Now, whether there's this is an acute or a chronic disease state that has to do with some level of autoimmunity, uh, leaky gut syndrome, chronic infections, food sensitivities and toxins, and so on and so forth is, it's absolutely worth uh, understanding here that uh, we are what we eat and what we eat influences our brain health and our gut health as well, which ultimately influences our body's ability to retain lean muscle mass and lose body fat. So let's talk about muscle mass as we age, because this is one of the profound uh, things in the aging process is that we know we lose a certain amount of muscle mass as we get older every year uh, to the tune of three to 8% muscle mass loss per decade after the age of 30. This starts young. And the rate of decline is even higher after the age of 60. So we need to be doing everything we can possibly do to maintain, if not improve lean muscle tissue as we age. And this starts well before 50, but even if you're at 50 or above, we need to be doing everything we can 
to maintain the muscle mass that we've got. Because one of the things that we know happens with muscle mass is, again, as we're reducing it, we replace a lot of this muscle mass with fat mass. And so you can see in the image, hopefully, that on the top is we have a seemingly lean and healthy middle-aged male at 42 years old. And, and we see very little red around the uh, perimeter of this muscle mass and certainly within the muscle mass. This is a healthier muscle body. Whereas for a 70-year-old male who also looks to be lean and healthy and fit, we see a vastly different muscle body that both has uh, fat around the perimeter of it, but it also has fat layered in between the muscle spindles. And this is problematic because the more body fat we have, the more metabolically active that tissue is. And so you can kind of think about muscles as we age, if we're not really taking care of them, both from exercise and our nutrition, become kind of like this well-marbled steak. And that's not ideal. And so some of the reasons why this happens is... Well, I'll get to that in, in just a moment here, but it certainly has to do with lack of protein intake. So what we know about uh, aging and muscle mass is 41 and 35% of men and women respectively uh, over the age of 50 consume less, consume less than the recommended daily allowance of protein per day. Now this, if you guys take anything from this presentation, it should be this is the average American is consuming, at least a significant portion of the American population is consuming far too little protein. And the RDA, the recommended daily allowance, is the minimum, bare, bare minimum amount of protein recommended to prevent disease. In no way is it the optimal amount of protein to help with preventing muscle mass loss, to help support energy, to help support immune system function and muscle and joint integrity uh, and uh, cognitive function and so on and so forth. So we'll, we'll dive into why all of those things are so important. But basically what we're seeing here, my friends, is that we are over fat and we are under muscled. And that in and of itself is of pandemic proportions. As we know that, of course, 65% of the U.S. population is either overweight or obese, right? And we can correlate to the fact that, as the statistics I mentioned just earlier, about 16% of the U.S. population in general is only eating about 16% of their calories from protein, which means the rest of those calories are coming from carbohydrates and fats. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, except that we all know that of that remaining 84%, we're probably not eating whole grains and vegetables and fruits and healthy fats. It's likely more coming from processed oils and refined carbohydrates and so on and so forth, things that are actually further contributing to disease states. So all of these things contribute to why it makes it harder as we get older to lose that body fat that at one time might have felt much easier to lose. So as I said at the beginning, there's no magical foods that in and of themselves burn body fat. That's just marketing hype. Uh, it's just dietary dogma. However, 
what we need to be cognizant of is that if we are looking to lose body fat, it means we need to effectively manage our calories. Okay, we need to effectively manage our calories. And you can see here this uh, sort of pyramid of priorities here when it comes to fat loss. And the number one priority at the bottom of the pyramid, if you can read that, it says calories. So if we're looking to lose body fat, we need to find a way to create a calorie deficit. That means that we're consuming less calories than we're expending on a daily basis. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. As I'm sure you're aware, you can do any number of dieting methodologies. You can do keto and Mediterranean diet and zone diet and Atkins and intermittent fasting. And you can do bars and shakes and the list goes on and on and on, right? And the only thing that these diets are really good for is helping us create a calorie deficit because what happens, we end up eating less, we restrict certain food groups, it doesn't really matter what they are because it helps us create a calorie deficit. So if we are not taking that into account, then we're not doing justice to the fat loss process. Now within that, that's where we can really start to determine which foods are gonna help support this calorie deficit in the best possible way. And that's what we're gonna dive into here in a second. And so I've kind of highlighted the categories here, but calories matter most. After which then we can start to talk about the type of diet and how it contributes to the fat loss process. Then we can talk about micronutrients, the vitamins and the minerals. But the reality is our food system is actually quite good at fortifying our foods with vitamins and minerals to the degree that it's pretty, do, it's pretty hard to become deficient uh, per se in any number of vitamins and minerals. Um, but it's certainly not as important as the prior two. And then when we eat and then supplements, and it's not even worth talking about supplements if we're not focusing on all of the other uh, aforementioned priorities. So let's talk dieting, let's talk fat loss, and let's talk which is the best diet for fat loss. Now you probably tried some, you know, multiple of these diets in the past. And, and hopefully you can see this, but essentially what I'm showing you here is a chart of a number of different diets. And each of these diets is made up of different amounts of protein and carbohydrate and fat. And so there's often argument within the industry and within our sort of nutrition world about which diet is best. Well, we should be doing the Mediterranean diet, or we should be doing the zone diet, or we should be eating more of a paleo and we should be eating more animal protein. No, we should be eating more vegan. But what we know from a fat loss standpoint, and, and actually more, I should have titled this, what diet is best for weight loss is what I should have titled this. And let me explain why is because what we know is that all of these diets are equally effective for weight loss when calories are equated. And so what I mean by that is, let's just say we're all eating 2000 calories and they take all of us, and let's say we have a hundred people and they take all of us and they put us on a 500 calorie deficit. So all of a sudden they give us one of these diets and each of these diets is made up of 1500 calories. Some of them have you know, higher amounts of carbohydrates, some of them have higher amounts of fat and so on and so forth. What we'll find is that all of them are equivalent in terms of how they contribute to weight loss. On the scale, 
the all 100 of us will likely lose a statistically significant amount of weight that is roughly the same across the board when averaged out. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Now, there's a difference though here between weight loss and fat loss and body composition change. And this is the thing that no one's talking about that I really want you guys to understand because as we get older, it's not about our weight. It's never, frankly, it's never about our weight. It is about our body composition, our functionality and the health of our cells and our musculoskeletal tissue and our digestive system and our cognitive function. And the health of all of these things is influenced by the amount of protein and carbohydrate and fats that we're consuming. And so what this says is reduced calorie diets result in clinically meaningful weight loss, regardless of which macronutrients they emphasize. It doesn't matter what the diet is, guys. They're all going to equate to weight loss, but they're not all going to contribute to improving your body composition, meaning losing more fat, maintaining more muscle mass. And that's what we're going to dig into. And so what we know from a dieting standpoint, um, when we're in a calorie deficit, there's a few really important things. This study that I'm showing on the right, it's tough to read. So let me just very briefly explain it to you. But essentially what this study shows is that when they compared 38 different foods, they found a number of these foods to be the most satiating per amount of calories. And so basically what they found in this study, and this is relevant to dieting and calorie management is because the foods that are the highest in protein and the foods that have the highest amount of fiber and water are the most satiating, meaning they help us stay full for the longest period of time, likely in between meals. And these are foods that are fat loss foods in that because they help us stay satiated, because their protein levels are high, protein also contributes to satiety. Invariably, they help us uh, eat less throughout the day, ultimately is what I'm getting at here. And so this study that to tried to determine which foods are most satiating is the some of the foods that I'm going to share with you here in just a moment. But it was very interesting to see the comparison in the different food types, specifically foods, again, that were highest in fiber and lowest in calories. So you can think things like vegetables, things like more dense and lean protein sources, and then things like potatoes, which sometimes have been given a bad rap, but invariably plain potatoes are actually some of the most nutrient dense, most fibrous, most satiating, lowest calorie foods that we can consume, which in and of itself then would make it a fat loss food. So let's talk about these things. Let's talk about protein and aging. And as I've been alluding to, the majority of the population is grossly under consuming protein, especially as we get older. For those of you listening, guys, it's very clear that we're under consuming protein intake. In this particular study, this was a study in 65 and older, uh, but there's plenty of research on protein intake and almost protein deficiency as we age. And one of the reasons for this is, as I mentioned, the reduction in muscle mass, I mentioned the digestive and neurodegeneration that happens. Well, one of the reasons for this is because our anabolic response to protein intake 
becomes reduced as we get older. Our, for men, our testosterone levels get reduced. For women, again, an imbalance in estrogen to progesterone. We need more protein to offset inflammatory and catabolic conditions that come with acute and chronic disease states. So uh, if we have diabetes, if we have metabolic syndrome, if we have cardiovascular disease, if we have any immune system suppression, if we have gastrointestinal issues and Crohn's, IBS, colitis, poor digestion of our food, then we actually need more protein intake far and above what the normal recommendations are up to two times and then some of what the recommended daily allowance is. And so this study, you know, showed that new evidence shows that older adults need more dietary protein than do younger adults to support good health, promote recovery from illness and maintain functionality. So of course we're talking about muscle mass. We're talking about maintaining muscle mass. We know as we get older, if we're losing muscle mass, we're not going to be as strong. We're not going to be able to move around as effectively. And this is about quality of life because no one wants to live their last 10 years in a wheelchair and a diaper. You know, who wants that? No one. It's about what we're doing right now that's setting the stage for our, our later quality of life and, and body composition. And there was an interesting study here. Uh, they called it the protege study. And of course, they you know play on words. They combined protein and age. But that recommended one to 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. That's basically about a half a gram per pound. So if you weigh 200 pounds, it's going to be 100 grams of protein. But evidence is really showing for many of us about a gram of protein per pound of body weight. And what I typically recommend for clients, depending on where they are, but definitely if we're talking about fat loss and improving body composition, we should be shooting for anywhere from 0.8 to one gram per pound of body weight. And I want to put this really briefly into perspective here is that you may not have an idea. So if you weigh 150 or 200 pounds, that's close to 150 or 200 pounds of protein. Well, about a four ounce portion, or let's just say a palm size portion of protein is probably about four ounces. Let's just say 25 grams. 25 grams of protein. So if you weigh 150 pounds, well, you would need to eat six four ounce portions of, let's just say animal protein, but I'm going to give you some other sources here. So in all likelihood, it's significantly more than most of us are consuming. And I'll be honest, very rarely have I worked with anyone over all of these years that's consuming adequate amounts of protein relative to their goals. So let's talk through protein sources. I want to give you some easy solutions that you can implement right away to respect everyone's time. I'm not going to dig into the research very much. I'm just going to give a very general overview. And then I've provided all of these great references. So if you want these slides, I'm happy to share them with you. But the first sort of protein superfood, and we'll just say, we'll say fat loss food in here is whey protein. Now, whey is a protein that's derived from dairy, from cow milk. Um, however, there are goat proteins and so on, but um, it's beneficial. One is because it's very easily digested and absorbed because it's already broken down into a powder. So it's something that you can mix in water or or juice perhaps, or something like that. But you know, this study specifically showed that there were increases in fat loss and sparing of lean muscle tissue. So I want you to think back to the slide where I showed all of the different diets. And remember that I mentioned that 
It doesn't matter the diet for weight loss as long as we're in a calorie deficit. However, what all of these diets show is that yes, people lose weight, but as we lose weight, my friends, as we lose weight, we also lose muscle mass. We also lose bone density. And the more aggressively we diet, so the more weight we lose in the short term, the more of those beneficial, you know, important tissues we're going to lose. That is problematic. So you may have experienced or known someone loses a significant amount of weight over a short period of time. Well, oftentimes what they're losing a lot of is they're losing a lot of muscle mass. They're losing a lot of water tissue and they're losing some bone density. Of course, they're losing some fat mass, but it's under those situations that makes it very easy for people to gain that weight back. So what we need to be cognizant of here is when we're losing weight, we need to make sure we're doing everything we can to maintain muscle mass and lose as much body fat as possible. And that's why when we're dieting, that's why when we're in a calorie deficit, it's paramount to keep our protein intake high very high relative to our total calorie intake. So let's say of those 1500 calories that we're dieting at, we need to make sure we're consuming around 30%, not 16% like the average American diet, but closer to 30%, if not more of those calories from protein. And that's where, when we compare studies on diets that either have a higher protein intake versus a lower protein intake, while people lose the same amount of weight on the scale, the people that eat the most protein relative to their calorie intake, maintain the most muscle mass and lose the most body fat. That's huge. That's huge. And which is why it's so important to keep our protein intake high, you know, not only when we're dieting, but certainly as we get older too, to support lean muscle tissue. Now, the other reason that this protein specifically whey protein is beneficial is because it helps us suppress our appetite. In this study, it actually so showed an appetite suppression from meal to meal and, and sort of uh, helped us curb our food intake at the following meal. So a little trick that I'll implement with clients is to use whey protein as what we call a, uh, a buffer. And so what I'll have someone do is if they're going out to a party or they're going out to eat and they want to be able to more effectively manage their calorie intake, and we want to help them, of course, keep their protein intake high, I'll have them take a scoop or two of whey protein and water and drink it before they go because it's going to help them curb their appetite. It's going to help them feel more satiated and full at that meal. And then they're going to be a lot less likely to, you know, eat all the bread in the bread basket, or if we go to Mexican, eat all the chips, right. And salsa before the food even gets there. That's definitely my problem. Um, and then sort of ancillary importance here, but that's really applicable for all of you listening here is there's certain therapeutic applications of whey protein really as an immune enhancing food property. It has the ability to act as an antioxidant, it has the ability to act as a, to help us reduce our blood pressure, to be anti-cancerous, to help us uh, regulate our um, lipids, our blood cholesterol levels, to act as an antiviral and antibacterial. A chelating agent makes, it helps us detoxify. And the reason for this is because it has the ability to increase levels of glutathione, which is a powerful antioxidant that the body produces. And so there's some really interesting research on this, but for all of those reasons, whey perhaps is the most 
powerful fat loss food and health food in many cases, especially as we get older, we may have issues one eating enough animal protein or just protein in general, especially if it's coming from plant-based sources, that's a lot of food. So the second protein source is dairy. And uh, dairy is another one that's relatively easy to consume. Uh, it's very dense in protein relative to our the total calorie intake. And in this particular study, what they found was that when they took three groups, they gave them adequate amounts of protein. So let's just say they gave them around 30%, anywhere from 15 to 30% of their dietary intake of their calorie intake from protein. The groups, one that were consuming the highest amount of protein responded the best, but also the highest amount of protein from dairy specifically responded in terms of having greater strength output over the course of a 16 week study and more significant body fat loss over the course of a 16 week period. So dairy can be a really easy one. And a couple of the dairy sources that I find are very beneficial and easy to consume to help us increase protein intake is uh, low fat cottage cheese, um, simply because you can kind of spice it up in so many different ways, right? You can you can make it sweet. So you can add things like coffee creamer or fruit to it, or even cereal to it. Um, you can make it savory by adding some spices or pepper or cucumbers or carrots or ranch powder. And one container is not that many calories. It's probably like 500 calories and like 70 grams of protein. So it makes for a great meal slash snack throughout the day. Now, another great source of protein that I'm sure many of you are aware of, I want to talk specifically about how it's kind of can be a, seen as a fat loss food is fatty fish like salmon. And this is because of the omega-3 fatty acids, which I'm sure many of you have heard about. But what we see, and when I mentioned that the majority of Americans are eating a lot more processed uh, and refined, so processed fats and oils and refined grains, one of the problems that we have with this is we consume a lot of omega-6 fatty acids, which far exceeds the amount of omega-3 fatty acids that we should be consuming. And that's problematic because the omega-6 fatty acids are very inflammatory in the body. So we need to make sure we're consuming enough omega-3s to balance that out. And really quick story for you is any of you listening were on my last talk, I mentioned how I spent years and years measuring thousands of people in terms of their body composition and actually doing, you know, actual caliper body fat measurements. And one of the things I observed, interestingly enough, is that when I correlated their body composition to their dietary intake, uh, one of the observations was that the people who had the most hard, dense, inflamed feeling skin tissue and adipose fat tissue were also the ones that were consuming the most amount of highly processed, highly refined foods. So we also know that these omega-3 fatty acids can actually help support the inflammation process in the body. And so they can actually help us improve our body composition and almost counteract these metabolic changes that come as we age, certainly due to obesity, because they help us improve fat metabolism. They help us regulate hormones like leptin, and leptin is one of the hormones that helps us manage our hunger and satiety from meal to meal, as well as control factors for obesity and cardiovascular disease. And then again, help quell inflammation in the body and improve 
fat cell health. So as I mentioned, like when I would be measuring people, their fat cells were inflamed and hard and dense unhealthy tissue. As we eat more healthy fats, we literally are what we eat. And so we, our cellular membranes start to restructure to be a lot healthier fatty acid tissues, which becomes a lot more pliable and less inflamed and so on and so forth. So it's very, very interesting stuff. And, and the last protein source that I'm going to mention here is eggs. Now, eggs have gotten a very bad rap over the years. Eggs are actually in the research and now have shown to be cardioprotective, go figure, is for most people. And of course, there's always outliers. And if you're someone that's concerned about your cholesterol, then by all means, talk to your medical professional. But, you know, the research is clear that it's not about the cholesterol in the food, um, rather how the body manufactures the cholesterol when it's in an inflammatory state. And so eggs can be a very healthy, very nutrient dense, high in vitamins and mineral, high in protein source of food. Now, one of the things to take into consideration is the types of foods that we consume with our protein sources and how we cook our protein sources. And so this, I think, is where a lot of the observational studies of the past around our protein intake and perhaps the contribution of protein to things like heart disease and cancer. Well, if we think about this for a second, what are a lot of the foods that we would consume with eggs as an example? Well, we would consume things like bacon, like sausage, like pancakes and syrup. And so highly refined sugars and carbohydrates and highly processed uh, animal proteins and fats, which we know are carcinogenic, then compound that with the way that we're cooking our proteins. And so when we cook our food, especially at high temperatures, for example, if we're frying eggs or if we're grilling meat at high temperatures, especially with things like barbecue sauces and sugar-based dressings, well, these sugars burn. They compound with the protein to create things that are called AGEs, advanced glycation end products. And it's these molecular compounds in and of themselves that are very carcinogenic, that help increase free radical damage in the body, oxidative damage, and essentially exacerbate the aging process. So it's very, very interesting to take into consideration. It might not actually be the foods themselves, but what we're eating with the foods and how we're certainly cooking those foods. So let's get into the last couple fat loss foods that I want to share with you. And one of the foods that I alluded to earlier is potatoes. And I just want to mention this chart again, and I know it's very difficult to see, but essentially I'm just going to explain it with, uh, for you again, is they took 238 uh, different foods. Uh, so they took some fruit, they took some carbohydrate rich food, things like potato and oats and white bread and whole grain bread and French fries. And then they took some protein rich foods and some cereal grains and some different snack foods and some bakery foods. And they compared them all in a 240 calorie serving to find which ones created the most satiety. And far and away, if you can see at the far right side of this graph, there's one yellow line that far surpasses all of the other foods. And that was actually potatoes. Plain yellow uh, or white plain yellow potatoes had significantly greater satiety than any other food, which really makes it a, a very uh, powerful fat loss food. And the reason for that, again, is because it is per volume is very low in calories 
and very high in fiber. And so, you know, what the study also found, and this probably makes logical sense to you, is that the higher the palatability and the fat of the food, so think things like French fries and chips, these are very palatable foods you can eat and eat and eat and never really feel full, the lower the satiety, right? Exactly that is you can eat those foods forever. I can crush a loaded potato because it has salt and extra fat and different um, textures on it versus a plain potato. Like how many plain potatoes can you sit down and eat? Probably not that many because frankly, it's boring and you know it's very, very filling. And no one said fat loss had to be sexy because this is a powerful fat loss food because it's going to help you stay full. It's gonna provide a ton of nutritional value and fiber like resistant starch. And this is a, a fiber in things like potato and corn that actually doesn't allow digestion in the body it's, it's resistant. That's why it's called a resistant starch because it can't be broken down by your digestive enzymes. And so what it does is it actually feeds your uh, large and small intestinal gut bacteria in a beneficial way. This is something that we would consider to be called a prebiotic versus a probiotic. But what's really interesting about the potatoes and the resistant starch is that when the food is hot, when the potatoes are hot, the resistant starch is actually very low. And so the potato is going to be a lot more likely to be broken down faster in the body. However, when you cook it and then let it cool completely, it completely changes the fiber content and the resistant starches become very high. So one little tip is if you are eating potatoes, you want to eat them actually <laughs> as if just eating, you know, plain potatoes wasn't bad enough. Now I'm suggesting eating plain cold potatoes, but you know, I'm just, I'm just telling you what the research says, my friends. And then certainly, um, uh, kind of sharing anecdotal evidence as to why potatoes can be such a superfood. Now let's finish off in terms of our fat loss foods with, uh, oats and oats can be a powerful fat loss food specifically because of one of the fibers in them called beta glucan and beta glucan has a, a positive effect on perceptions of satiety. So we've all heard that, you know, Oats are a great source of heart health and managing cholesterol, and it probably has something to do with the amount of fibers, uh, the types of fibers in the oats, because it helps keep us satiated from meal to meal. So the proteins in conjunction with these types of carbohydrates seem to be the most uh, satiating type foods that can help us manage a calorie deficit as we work towards losing body fat and maintaining muscle mass so that we can improve our body composition. So let's help you walk away with some applicable guidelines here. And let's talk about fat loss habits. Now, as I mentioned at the very beginning, fat loss comes down to creating a calorie deficit. Now, one of the ways that we can do that is we can first and foremost, just figure out how much we're consuming. And uh, then we can um, reduce our calorie intake by a certain amount. So what would be beneficial would be to actually track your food intake, whether you're just writing it down or whether you're actually using a calorie tracking app and then do that for a week or two. And then what you can do is you can simply reduce your calories, just reduce the portion sizes of the foods that you're consuming by anywhere from 15 to 25%. And you should see that 
weight is starting to change. In some cases, it's more complex than that. But generally speaking, that's a very good way to do that. And or you can increase your physical activity levels as well. Now, within that is you want to make sure you're increasing your intake of protein dense, high satiety foods like I've been alluding to. And then another way is you can simply just take an analysis, a loose analysis of your nutrition intake, and you can just decrease the intake of many of the low satiety foods, right? So those are the foods that are highly processed, highly refined, think things like bread, pasta, chips, cookies, cakes, sweets, things like that, wine, alcohol, processed carbs, that can make a huge calorie difference uh, if you don't want to track your calories. Now, as I mentioned, the things that are going to be the biggest drivers to help support you when you're managing your calories in order to effectively manage your calories, uh, keep your protein high, keep your fiber high, uh, keep your water high, support lean muscle tissue is what I call the 5S formula that I learned from one of my mentors and have adopted and share this with many of my clients. And of course, with you is this 5S formula to help us consume more protein, fiber, and water. And so what this 5S is, is building our meals around things like soups, salads, scrambles, shakes, and stir fries. And all of these foods are going to be high in fiber, right? Soups, we can have lots of vegetables. We can throw in a protein source. Salads obviously has a lot of vegetables, which also have a lot of water in them and a lot of fiber. Uh, Scrambles have more protein. Shakes, you can throw in whey protein. Stir fries are usually just meat and vegetables and so on and so forth. So you get the idea there. Now, in addition to the nutrition, we've got to talk about fat loss habits that can help us maintain, if not improve lean muscle mass as we age. First and foremost is strength training. If you are not strength training, you should be. There's no ifs, ands, or buts around it. We need to be doing weight-bearing exercises to help us at the very least maintain the amount of muscle mass that we have as we get older instead of losing every single year in addition to supporting uh, our bones and our bone density with weight-bearing exercise. This is very important from a quality of life standpoint. We need to move daily up and beyond 10,000 steps a day, drinking half of our body weight in ounces of water. Surround yourself with like-minded people who are going to be supportive of your health, weight loss, and physical activity goals. And if needed, hire a coach like me because I can help you expedite the process. If you are interested in working together and finding out more about my smart nutrition coaching program, you've got my email. Now you have my phone number, write it down really quickly here. Just shoot me a message and we can have a conversation and see if uh, the coaching program is the right fit for you. Okay, guys, well, then we'll wrap it up. I'll let you get on with your day. I can't tell you how appreciative I am for all of you taking the time out of your day to jump in with me. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple.